All right, guys. Welcome to Salt Company. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors of Salt City Church. For those of you who don't know, Salt Company is the college ministry of Salt City Church. And every time I speak, I want to make sure you guys know that you're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 930 at Midpoint Events Center to worship with some folks that are a little bit older than you as well. And here's the great thing about worshiping with people older than you is we love to ask them to do things for you. And one of the things we love to ask them to do for you is to spend money on you. And so a couple things college students don't have are money and food, right? Maybe you do have food, but um, you don't have money to buy extra food. And so what we tell our people in our community to do is just to buy you food. And so this Sunday, we're doing this thing called National Feed a College Student Day, which is not actually a national holiday, just in case you're confused. But we're going to tell, basically, if you're at church, we're just going to tell you to stand up, and then we're going to have people in the church take you to their house or take you out to eat. It's it's way less creepy than it sounds. I should just teach the Bible, right? Um, Okay, so guys, tonight, what we're talking about is we're talking about how Jesus didn't just come to save what we would normally consider lost people, but he also came for religious people as well. And I was thinking about this this afternoon, just as we were preparing to come to Minneapolis to start Salt City Church, one of the things that was actually exciting to me is the whole uh, Minnesota nice culture of this place. So here's my perspective on Minnesota nice, okay? So basically, the Twin Cities metro has more people that go to church in it than any other metro over a certain size. I forget what it is. We'll just say a million people. In the United States, okay, there's more people who go to church. But you guys know a lot of those people, and you know that There's also a culture of you go to church and you sort of act like you have your stuff together and you live a totally different way during the week. So my philosophy is that Minnesota nice is actually just people trying to act like they're good when they're not that good. And so here's what I've realized in interacting with people is I think that there's this facade that a lot of people are walking around with kind of a religious facade. But when I start to ask people, like, the second and third question, especially parents of my friends, or my kids' uh, friends, there's, there's other stuff going on. Like, and it seems to me like no one really likes the whole Minnesota nice thing. And I think what the text that we're going to look at tonight is going to speak into all of us is just that we can drop the facade, Okay, so sort of the big idea that's going to frame everything in tonight is that hypocrisy actually keeps us from the healing touch of Jesus. So we often think it's our sin that keeps us from Jesus, but what this passage is going to show us is it's actually not our sin that keeps us from Jesus. It's acting like we don't have any. Hypocrisy is faking it. And so let's dive into John chapter 9. We're just looking at all of chapter 9. I'm going to read the whole thing so we can get the big picture, and then we're just going to look at 
three different points from the text. We won't be able to cover all of it, but hopefully you can go home with something that's helpful to you. So John chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them. I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you not want to hear it again? Or why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, 
and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you had have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Okay, kind of an interesting story. It happens to be God's word. We're going to look at three different things from it. The blindness of humanity, the healing of Jesus, and the depth of hypocrisy. First one, blindness of humanity. So the story starts off, read it again. It says, he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Okay, so there's a guy, if you haven't picked this up, who was born blind. Right? And he's basically wondering his whole life why he was born blind. And basically the, the common religious cultural perception of you, if you had any kind of deformity, including blindness, was that the reason that you were blind was because you sinned or there's been some generational sin that you're now being punished for. And so the question is being asked to Jesus, which seems super insensitive, doesn't it? This guy's blind and he's poor and he's destitute and he's been begging for food and money. And they're asking, why is he blind? Who sinned? And what Jesus does is he turns the tables on him. He actually says, okay, that whole understanding that people have deformities and therefore they sinned or somebody else sinned, that whole way of thinking is wrong. Here's why this guy is blind. God has an amazing purpose for his life. He's actually been chosen to be blind because God wants to use his life in a very particular way. And Jesus describes that as the works of God being displayed through him. So this guy, from Jesus' vantage point, has been born blind so that his story would touch billions of people down through the centuries, including us tonight. Think about that. All those tears that this man shed wishing that he had sight would be worth it in a way that he could have never conceived as his story would be told over centuries because it would be recorded for us in the Bible. So Jesus says there's a great purpose for this man's life. And what we see in the passage is part of that purpose is this man's blindness becomes a powerful illustration of human sinfulness, of the brokenness of all of humanity. So Jesus begins to teach us through this story about sin through this man's life. You want to know what the human condition is like. 
It's like being blind. It's dark. It's lonely. It leads to a kind of spiritual poverty. And what's interesting about our blindness in sin is that we are both born with it and it's something that we continually choose over and over and over again. No one would ever choose to be blind, but there is a very real sense in which each of us, every day, chooses to be blind. Guys, I got a a very vivid illustration of this this week. So I was just sitting at Spy House Coffee, about to work on the sermon, had my Bible out, and this young man named Ben comes up to me and he says, that's my favorite book. It tattoos up and down his arms and big holes where he used to have gauges in his ears. And, and for whatever reason, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was prompting me like, hey, just shut the Bible and just shut your mouth and just listen to this guy for a little while. And so he got his coffee and then he's standing there talking to me. I'm like, hey, Ben, you want to sit down? And he ends up sitting down. And he began to tell me one of the craziest life stories that I've ever heard. He told me that he was addicted to heroin and then Jesus saved his life, miraculously took heroin out of his life. He moved to Arkansas where he became a pastor and he was leading a group from his church back to the Twin Cities to go to a conference and he went to this shop, kind of in a back alley or whatever, to get an energy drink, and he didn't know that this energy drink was laced with opioids. He hadn't taken heroin for six years, and he took this energy drink, filled with opioids, took it, and he said, I hadn't felt that same feeling for six years. And I went back to that same place and I bought a case of that stuff, and my life has been ruined ever since then. And the question I've always had is, why? Why would God allow that to happen? He ended up losing his job as a pastor. And just long story, crazy, all these crazy things that he's telling me. He took a hit of heroin that morning, and he's looking at me and saying, why? I'm about to study this text. That the works of God might be displayed in your life. God has a purpose for your life. And I began to just beg with him. I asked him the question, I was like, dude, what's the one step of faith that God wants you to take in your life right now? And he looked at me and said, don't ask me that question. Don't ask me that question. He's like, I sold my phone. I gave up the last bit of my money to buy heroin. I have one hit left. It's sitting at my house. And I know that I'm supposed to get rid of that. And I go, you're getting rid of the heroin. I'm like, what am I doing? Spy house. <laughs> getting rid of the heroin, right? I'm like, you're getting rid of the heroin. I was like, you're a child of God. That's who you are. That's who you are. 
God didn't leave you. God's not forsaking you. Look at this. You're having this conversation with this crazy pastor right now. You're getting rid of the heroin. Guys, whatever junk you're going through in your life, whatever spiritual blindness is is in your life, even if it's your own fault, it's your own sin, it was caused by you. That was what this guy was talking to, was so bothered by. It's like, it's my fault. All this junk in my life is my fault. It doesn't matter whether it's your fault or not. The spiritual blindness that is present in your life is the very reason that Jesus wants to do a work in your life. Jesus likes to take the junk of our lives and make things that are beautiful, and we have it completely backwards. And this guy's blindness, his real physical blindness, was placed there by God Almighty to teach us that lesson. Okay, so where do we go from here? We feel that way about our own sin, don't we? Whatever your pet sin is, whatever your favorite thing to do, do is that's dishonoring to God, you're like, it just feels hopeless. I just can't stop doing it. What do I do? I've tried effort. I've tried religion. I've tried all these different things and none of them seem to work. What do I do? Where do I turn? Who can help me? We got to turn to the healing of Jesus. Okay, we're going to be a little bit grossed out by how Jesus chooses to heal us. So the healing of Jesus Verse 6, it says, Having said these things about doing the work of God in this guy's life, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. Okay, this is a strange healing story. Right? There's other healing stories in the Gospels where Jesus just says to people, rise and walk, or says, you're healed. What's with the mud and the spit? Is this magic mud and magic spit that actually healed this guy's eyes? No, it's disgusting. Like, I don't care if it's Jesus' spit. This is gross. I'm glad, in one sense, that this man was blind so he didn't have to see this concoction coming together. Like, I'm sorry, that has to be a lot of spit. Right? I mean, you can just see Jesus, like, just hawking a loogie. It's like, I am going to heal you. So there's, like, you know, spit, there's some mucus in it. He's mixing it up, right? And it's like... It's just gross. It's just disgusting. Why is Jesus mixing up a dirt-slash-saliva cocktail to put on this dude's eyes? What's the point? The point is, the guy's so desperate, he's been blind so long, He's maybe heard some things about Jesus, never met him before. He might be crazy enough to just do what Jesus said, even though it's 
absolutely nuts. He might be crazy enough to let Jesus put the saliva in dirt, rub it on his eyes. He might actually think that it would work. Guys, I've experienced a lot of gross things as a dad, right? I have five kids, and um, I was just thinking back through all the gross things that I've cleaned up and experienced. And I had to take the opportunity, since this is gross, to explain one of those things to you, right? So on multiple occasions, my son Gabe has been out in the sandbox in the backyard, and he's got a diaper on, okay? And he gets really into playing in the sand. And so he forgets that he does actually know how to poop in a toilet, And so he'll actually just be sitting out in the sandbox and just, I mean, what could be better as a little boy, right? He's got snot running down his face. He's just playing with the sand out there and just pooping his pants. But inevitably, like there's a sister in there. There's somebody playing with him. There gets to be some sand down the backside as well, right? And so surprise, Luke, or I mean, Gabe, come inside. I'm telling Luke to come inside too. And, uh, Gabe will come inside, and I'll, you know, pull it back. Oh, dude, you know, just sand and poop mixed together. Just a delightful cocktail, similar to one Jesus made for this guy. And, uh, and I'll take, so what I'll do, this is a total dad move. I don't want to get that stuff in the bathtub. So we have a utility sink in the basement. And so I, what I do is I just take Gabe down, and I just take the diaper off. And so there's just like, he's been sitting on it, right? So it's like stuck in sand and all that. And what I do is, because I'm a dad, not a mom, I just take my hand and I just wipe it off, right? You'll do this kind of stuff as a parent. It's weird. You just don't care. You just stop caring about life anymore. Doesn't matter. Because here's the thing. I'm going to touch that stuff, right? And I'm going to throw it down because I'm desperate. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm desperate. I'll touch it, knock it down the sink. It's over. Okay, this guy in this store, he is next level desperate, right? Like, I'm just trying to get the kids to bed so I can go to bed. This dude has been blind since birth. The point of The saliva-dirt combo is that it's gross and ridiculous. But when you're desperate, pride goes out the window. Doesn't matter. Jesus is like, do it. You're going to do it, wouldn't you? If you were actually blind. Okay, here's the thing. What are you going to do with your spiritual blindness? You desperate? Yeah? Like, has sin ruined your relationships enough yet? Has it made you feel isolated and lonely enough yet? You're like, wait, Jesus hadn't offered me a saliva and dirt cocktail to take care of my sin. You're right. He's offered you something much more disgusting than that. His body on a cross beat to absolute junk for you with blood 
flowing out of his head and out of his hands and out of his veins and him, his chest heaving up and down. And the world looks at that and they say, that's the most foolish thing in the world. And us, we as Christians, we're so desperate. We're like, you know what? I'm in. If you tell me that the blood's going to take away my sin, I'm in. If you tell me that I need to soak myself in the blood and that somehow blood is going to wash me white as snow, I'm in. I don't care. I'm desperate. You can say it's a crutch. I say it's life. You can say it's ridiculousness. You can say it's foolishness. I'm telling you guys, it worked. My sin's gone. It got straight up washed away, and I live my life guilt-free, even though I'm probably the biggest sinner in the room. I want you guys to get on, in on the deal. That's my whole shtick. That's the only message I got. I just want to tell you guys, when you're desperate, you look at the blood, you look at the cross, you look at that same old message you've been hearing your whole life, and you actually just believe it. Because it's the only thing that's going to take away your sin. Just like that mud was the only thing that was going to take away his blindness. And you're in. There's no other way, guys. You can try your own self-effort. You can try the religious game. You can try pretending for other people. You can try whatever you want. I'm telling you, I've tried it all. It doesn't work. It's just the blood. It's disgusting. It's the Son of God dying a bloody death in your place for your sin. That's all we got. Believe it. Why don't we believe it? Here's why. It's the depth of our hypocrisy. We're so committed to playing this game that we would rather hold on to our pride and live in isolation and live in sin and live doing our own thing than we would just come and get washed by the blood. And I want you to see your own ridiculousness in the ridiculousness of these Pharisees. The depth of hypocrisy, starting with verse 26. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. It's almost funny, isn't it, reading through the story, because John has trouble even describing the blind man. Like, he calls him the blind man, and the man who was formerly blind, and the guy who's blind, and just keeps trying to describe him all these different ways, because this, the guy very simply did what Jesus said, and he was healed of his blindness. And he keeps getting asked by everyone to tell the story again and again. And it's a very simple story. He told me to put this stuff in my eyes, wash my eyes in the pool of Siloam, and now I can see. And everyone keeps asking him. And so the Pharisees, they've already asked him a couple different times. They come to ask him again, and the dude's like, oh, they don't want me to recap the story 
they went want in on this following Jesus thing. And so he's like, oh, you guys want to follow Jesus. Got it. Like, no. Their answer is interesting, isn't it? They say, no, no, we don't want to follow Jesus because we're already following Moses. Here's what they're saying. Just, they're saying, Moses gave us the law, the Ten Commandments. They're saying, we're really good at following the Ten Commandments, so we don't need any of that mud stuff. We don't need any of that cross stuff. We just want the religion stuff. We're really good at keeping the rules. And they were. They're the best rule keepers. They're the Christian school kids. They're good at keeping up the show. We're following Moses. We're good. It's all right. Don't tell us this crazy story that you're trying to tell us. But here's the problem that they have. They have a guy standing in front of them who's saying, I was blind, now I see, because Jesus did something crazy in my life. And they're saying, well, we know that God spoke through Moses, but we don't even know where this guy comes from. And the blind guy is like, this hypocrisy, he's smelling it, right? He's like, this is ridiculous. Wait just a second. This guy healed me of my blindness. Isn't it obvious that he's at least a man of God and probably something even more than that? Maybe he's God himself. That's the implication of what he's saying. But they are so committed to the facade they are so committed to their religion. They're so committed to making it look like they're the good guys, even though they're just like everybody else and they need to be cleansed of their sin, that they deny that Jesus is who he has obviously presented himself to be. So here's what they're like spiritually. It's like they are spiritually blind, but they are pretending like they can see. Now, I don't know if you guys ever got into, like, these prank shows. Like, I watched these different shows. Like, back in the day, it was the Jamie Kennedy Experiment. You've got whatever. There's been all these different shows on TV where people basically just play pranks on each other, jackass, whatever it is. And in all of the different shows that I've watched, there are people who, as a prank, they pretend that they're blind, which is ridiculous, but that's what they do on those shows. They pretend that they're blind. Here's what would be even more ridiculous than a seeing person pretending that they're blind, is a blind person trying to pretend like they can see. Can you imagine how hard that would be? And people are looking at you like, dude, you're all right? You need some help? Oh, no, 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 I'm good. I can see. It's like, yeah, you're walking in the middle of the street, bro. Oh, no, no, I can see. I know where I'm going. I got it. It'd be incredibly hard to keep up that facade, wouldn't it? 
Guys, that's what religion is like. It's like being blind and pretending like you can see. So you're walking around. That's what the Pharisees are doing. They're walking around. They're acting like they're the good guys who are keeping the rules. And people are like kind of smelling their junk. They're like, dude, I see some sin. You're like, no, 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 no. That can't be sin. I keep the law of God. Their wives are like especially mad at them, right? Like, we know you don't keep the law of Moses. And they're like, oh, no. We do. We're really good at it. I mean, especially as I think about the Ten Commandments, I always think about the last one. Like, what do they do with do not covet? You know what covet means? It means even wanting something that someone else has. And they're trying to pretend like they got that one on lockdown. Like, no, never coveted. It's like, are you serious? Come on. Guys, so here's, here's the simple choice. And Jesus is going to make this abundantly clear, but let me just give you a little preview. You got the choice. The mud, the blood, right? Or fake it for the rest of your life. Be blind and pretend like you can see. Okay, here's how Jesus said it. Verses 39 through 41. He's talking to the, the Pharisees. He joins the conversation, which is great. Jesus said, for judgment... I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Not us. We're good Sunday school boys. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. What if Christianity is the exact opposite of what you've always thought it was? What if Christianity is not for people who are good at keeping the rules? What if Christianity is for people like Ben? What if Christianity is for messed up people whose lives are in the gutter, who can't get their stuff together and are never going to get their stuff together, but are just simply willing to say, I'm blind. It's all it is. That's bottom shelf Christianity right there. That's all it is. I'm blind. I can't see. And as soon as you say you're blind, Jesus says, here's some mud. You're forgiven. It's disgusting, but it's awesome being cleansed from your sin. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that this really is the message. And I love uh, seeing you fight with the Pharisees because I see myself in them and I see that I got this little Pharisee living down inside of me who's always accusing me and telling me that I'm not good enough. And I just love to hear you say, all we have to do is say that we're blind. Did you just save some religious kids tonight, God? Those kids who have grown up in the church their whole life and they're just like, man, I'm just tired of trying to act like I got my stuff together. I'm trying to act like I see but now I finally see that I'm blind. Jesus, thanks that you love the kind of people that the world looks at and says, we got no use for you. Thanks that you look down on this group tonight and you love us just because you love us. Help us to just agree with what's actually true about us. 
In Jesus' name, amen.